Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. What is gospel-centeredness? The term gospel-centered or gospel-centeredness, they're pretty popular terms, and but what exactly do they mean? What, what does a gospel-centered life look like and why should we pursue that? I want to take this episode to talk about it. It's been a, something I've been introduced to over the past several years and I've grown to love and I'm learning more about what does it mean and how do we actually live that out. But I got introduced to it a few years back through the For the Church podcast. Uh, the host, Jared Wilson, he starts us every episode the exact same way, which I just took for granted for the longest time. He says, Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And then he goes on with the rest of his introduction. And for the longest time, I took gospel-centered resource just as one of his phrases, just something he said. But then he did a, an episode called, What Does It Mean to Be Gospel-Centered? Where he delves into the, the meaning of the term and the gospel-centered movement, which I, I wouldn't say opened up a whole new world to me, but it... it it did direct me and it intrigued my interest and helped to, to direct me to further studying and reading and to, to thinking about that concept. And then Jared's book, Gospel Driven Ministry, was another thing that helped to shape that drive in me. It's a, his book where he talks about what does it mean to be a pastor, how do we engage with pastoral ministry that is shaped by the gospel, which is really what gospel-centeredness really is. Gospel-centeredness or being gospel-centered doesn't mean that we just sit around all day and don't do anything else but talk about the gospel. And it doesn't even mean that everything that we do is necessarily directly affected by the gospel in a direct sense. I mean, in terms of like uh, every conversation we have may not necessarily mention the gospel. Um, The way you do your taxes may not have a direct correlation to the gospel, but the fact that you've been redeemed and saved by Christ, that you have been united to him, you are his ambassador now and had that freedom to, to walk in him, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you, yeah, that's going to affect how you do your taxes. It's going to affect the way, how how you report things, your honesty. So it, there's an indirect, uh, there's an indirect effect from the gospel. And so the working definition that I have of gospel-centeredness I've combined from a few sources, Jared Wilson, Ronnie Kurtz, and Dane Ortland. But um, the, the definition that I have is that gospel-centeredness means the way we engage with every aspect of life is motivated and shaped by the gospel, either directly or indirectly. And we'll take the rest of this episode to, to flesh that out, because that's still kind of theoretical. Uh, it may, I think it sounds good, and I think it expresses what I mean by gospel-centeredness, but it doesn't ex- entirely detail how that's played out in all of life. So let's delve into that a little bit more. Uh, I'll just be up front and say that uh, Jared Wilson has been a, a mo- uh, major factor in helping me understand gospel-centeredness, not just introducing me to it, but helping me to, to grow in my understanding of what does it mean to be gospel-centered. And I, the For the Church podcast uh, does talk a lot about that. Uh, some of his books and articles that I've read pointed to this. And in that episode I mentioned about what does it mean to be gospel-centered, 
uh, he talks about three uh, three distinctives of the of gospel centeredness, and he reiterates these in one of his books called "Go Outside" that he wrote with his book that he wrote with his wife Becky. But here, what his three principles of how gospel centeredness is actually played out in life. The first one is that the whole Bible is about Jesus, from Genesis to Revelation. Everything is ultimately about the Lord, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and for His glory. That the Old Testament was foreshadowing and pointing ahead to Him, and so, and then of course the the New Testament being directly about Jesus and how what He did upon the cross, how that shapes how we live. And so, when we come to Scripture, we should have that understanding that all of Scripture is ultimately about Jesus, and we should be reading with that lens. His second point is that people really change by grace, not by law. What he means by that is that we can have all the outward regulations and rules and restrictions, and they may have their place. But if that's what we're relying upon to change people, uh, we're going to fall short. Because at that point, we're just changing behavior. We're just looking at the external person. Rules and regulations cannot change the heart. Only God's grace can do that. Uh, The end of Colossians chapter 2 points this out talking about how the different the different rules and self-made religion and these different restrictions we put on, they may have the appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And then he talks about how grace actually does that in our union with Christ, which I'll get to here shortly in the podcast. But the, the second aspect of gospel of living gospel-centered means that we recognize people really change by grace, not law. And then third, our ultimate validation is comes from the gospel because we can try to find our identity in so many things Uh, be it work i've done that Uh, approval from other people same Uh, we can just go on with uh, relationships that we're in uh, different opportunities that we have whether things are going smoothly we could just go we could go on and on with these different aspects and different things that we look to to find our identity to find our worth but being gospel centered means that we recognize our identity, our worth, isn't found in any of those things. Rather, it's found in Jesus and what he has done upon the cross for us. So those are Wilson's uh, three uh, principles of, of what does it mean to live gospel-centered, is that we recognize all of Scripture is about Jesus, uh, people really change by grace, not law, and that our ultimate validation is from the gospel. Dane Ortland, uh, he wrote a book. He wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition called "What Is All This Gospel Centered uh, Talk All About?" And that link to that article is in the description here. It was a helpful article. He takes a little bit of a different approach than Wilson when it comes to fleshing out what does it mean to be gospel centered. Uh, he breaks it into to gospel centered worldview and gospel centered growth, and he goes through there and a couple of his things that he said stuck out to me. He said, talking about what does it mean to be gospel-centered, he says, It means all of life is viewed in light of the gospel. What Jesus has done and is doing to restore the universe trumps everything else and orders all other loves accordingly. What he's getting to there is that Christ must be primary. He must have first place in our hearts. And not just Jesus in the in a vague sense, like Jesus is my buddy, uh, in, a, in that sense, or just Jesus um, in general, but focusing upon what Jesus has done upon the cross and his continued work of intercession for us 
and then the fact that he's coming back to fully manifest everything that he accomplished upon the cross. That must be central in our thoughts and our hearts. And everything else is ordered accordingly, as he says. It means that we don't look to other things to, uh, to, to have our worth or to satisfy, satisfy us or to bring salvation in that sense. In that article, he helps to flesh that out even more by giving an example, a different uh, one aspect of life that is affected uh, by the gospel and how that what it would look like to be gospel-centered in that sense. And the example he gave is uh, gospel-centered dating. And he says that um, gospel-centered dating means that we... Uh, let me move back here. It says... Uh, Gospel-centered dating would be dating that refuses to... to uh, start this again, sorry. It would be a dating that refuses to, be a, to put the sense of worth on whom we're dating, what they think about us, and the happiness they could provide if the relationship works out long-term. It's another way of saying that we don't look to that person uh, to be a functional Messiah for us. He goes on to say, If we know that no matter what happens uh, in a relationship, we have, oh, we, have all, we always have Christ and He is everything, then we are free to have... Then we are free from having our, our mood dictated by dating we are free to from having our mood dictated by dating success there's a lot of other aspects that he goes through I encourage you to check out the article he gives a lot of other good quotes there as he describes gospel centeredness and how that actually is played out in a Christian dating a relationship primarily being that we don't go into this looking for salvation in a sense in that other person or in the fact of or, or, or in a relationship and he points out that someone who is living gospel centered rooted in Christ finding our worth in him is truly uh, free from from having everything dictated by uh, circumstances they can have a joy and a peace and a settledness that's not based on circumstances because it's rooted in what Christ has already done so those are what uh, Wilson and then uh, Ortland talk about gospel-centeredness and how that plays out. And I, that may sound good, but the base, more basic question is, is that biblical? Is it scriptural? This whole emphasis upon the gospel and, and seeing all of scripture about Jesus and people changing my grace, not law, and etc. Is that really biblical? Well, I, I believe it is. And here's a few of the verses that I believe help point to that. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he tells them, you search, the scriptures, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. There the scriptures Jesus is referring to is the Old Testament because the New Testament had not been written yet. But he's saying all of scripture, the whole Old Testament at that time, was pointing to Christ. Not just a few passages or a few books, but Scripture, the Scriptures, the whole Old Testament, was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Paul 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, where he talks about his own ministry there in Corinth. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything else that he taught was subjected to this, that Christ and him crucified was primary. This is what he emphasized above everything else. A passage that really gets to the heart about changing by grace, not law, is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There's a lot that's packed into those verses there. But looking at the, the first part, it talks about the, what really changes us, what trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions is God's grace. It's his grace that trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives right now. And talks about how Christ redeemed us, not just to take away our sin debt, he certainly did, but also to purify for himself a people for his own possession, meaning that we might belong to him, that we would be his and have a relationship with him, and that we would be zealous for good works. That all of that, all of our life, our freedom and our deliverance from our old life, our relationship with him and the works that we engage with are all shaped by his work upon the cross. So those are a few just key passages there, but and we'll get some more that talk about how this fleshes out in different examples. Elise Fitzpatrick uh, was referenced in that podcast I mentioned about what does it mean to be gospel-centered. Uh, Ronnie Kurtz, one of the co-hosts, um, he, well, the, the co-host, he was talking about what Elise Fitzpatrick said about Psalm 51. After David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and this is David's prayer of confession to the Lord, uh, Elise Fitzpatrick had said that Psalm 51 is not a list of regulation and rules that David makes about not going up on the housetop again. Rather, it's a cry of, Lord, restore to me the joy of salvation. That he, he wanted to behold God more, his glory, the work of redemption. And as he understood that more, that would be what changes his heart, not laws. So restrictions and that we have and guardrails can be helpful, but we can't rely upon them. True change comes from beholding the Lord and his grace working in our lives. Let's look at some more examples of how this fleshes out. Consider the marriage relationship. Uh, Ephesians 5 roots the way that husbands and wives interact with one another in what Christ has done, in Christ's love for the church, his sacrificial uh, uh, giving of himself for the church, his nourishment of it, going on about Christ, what Christ has done, uh, motivating and sh shaping the marriage relationship. Uh, Peter does the exact same thing in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. The way that the, the, wife would inter the wife would interact with her husband, even an unbelieving husband, was affected and motivated by the gospel. Just even the way that she lived. Peter says she wouldn't necessarily have to say anything at first. Just the way that she could live would could be used by God to pierce the heart of her unbelieving husband to be, to be able to create a door, an opportunity to be able to share the gospel. Uh, husbands are reminded that 
both them and and their wives were saved by grace together. They're not any better or any different. Therefore, they ought to live with their wives in an understanding way. They, they should remember that, that the gospel affects how they live. Um, Colossians chapter 3 is contains so many different instructions to different aspects of life, but they're given in such a way that is couched in Christ's work of redemption. And the transition between chapter 2 and chapter 3, which in the original documents there were there was no division like that. It just flowed right together. The basis for the way that we live is rooted in the fact that Christ has died and, and, rose, and risen again and that we've been united to him. The gospel shapes how we live. And in fact, all of the, all the epistles that Paul wrote are shaped like that. That they move from what's called the, the gospel indicative, the gospel indicatives to the gospel imperatives, meaning, this is what God has done for you. Now here's how you ought to live in response. It's not that we we earn salvation or we try to keep it, but the fact that we stand redeemed in Christ and we live in grateful response, which is one of the things that, that Jerry Wilson points out in that podcast. Uh, Ephesians chapter two verse eight through ten talks about that, that we've been saved by grace through faith, not by our own works. But now that we have been saved, we are to, to, to carry out the good works that God has prepared for us in grateful response to what he has done. Let's think about what this means for like a, an employee in a business. He may not have a, a overtly spiritual job, you know, whether it's uh, someone in an office or a construction worker a plumber, a carpenter, car salesman, whatever you, whatever you want to say. But the way that he engages with his work can be motivated and shaped by the gospel. That he does not look for his performance um, or his praise from other his, his peers or his boss for his value. He's recognizing that no matter what his worth, his identity is rooted in Christ. That he recognizes that Christ has done all and Christ is working through him and he's representative of Christ. So he's going to work heartily. He's going to work in such a way that is for the Lord and also would be able to create a, a gospel witness. He's not just going to be looking at what's the bare minimum I can get by with. But how can I live as someone who has their sins forgiven? Where's their joy? It's rooted in Christ and that's going to be displayed in his life. And yeah, it will be displayed depending on his or her personality. It may be different, but there would be a joy. There would be a settledness rooted in Christ, a motivation to do a, to do a good job um, in response to what Christ has done, and also to create, like I said, to create that gospel witness. Even the acti- the way that we engage with activities just through, throughout our days, uh, it could also is also motivated and shaped by the gospel. Do we engage with overtly spiritual activities thinking that if we don't do enough that uh, God may cast us out or we don't, won't measure up? Or is there a settledness and a rest knowing that Christ has done all, we're his forever? And that gives us an assurance and a peace um, with everything that we engage with because Christ is redeeming the whole person, every aspect of our life. We can also find ways to engage in the community, to, to be part of it, to build those gospel relationships to hopefully one day be able to share the gospel with unbelievers to be able to strengthen other uh, belie- those who have trusted in christ to be able to strengthen them but the motivation of why we engage with certain things um, 
can be shaped by the gospel, for that desire to have a gospel witness, but also then that, that rest knowing that Christ is redeeming everything, all of, cre- all of creation. So creation is good. Art can be good. Um, just a times of, of, of relaxation with friends and family can be good in a rest and a gratitude for what Christ has already done for us. Uh, church activities, uh, the, way, the way that we shape church, uh, what we do as a church and how we engage with those things is all, can also be shaped by the gospel. Are we recognizing how, how the gospel, uh, let me rephrase that, do we highlight and emphasize the gospel and that is what shapes us and directs us? As another resource, if you want to do a deep dive into that, Rhythms of Grace by Mike Cosper is a great resource about that, about how the gospel should affect, should affect our, our liturgy, um, meaning the, the, what the church does uh, when it gathers for its regular services. But again, as, as I was saying a little bit earlier about activities, we don't, inv- we don't involve ourselves in what the church is doing and all these programs and different things that we do in the sense that we have to be good enough or to measure up. No, we, we should have a desire and delight to gather with God's people, to, to the, with other people who have been redeemed by Christ, who have been united through Him by the Spirit, and wanting to praise Him and to bring Him glory, to rejoice, to celebrate, to reflect upon the cost of what, he, what it took for Him to forgive us, and to help build each other up, knowing that we are His people, and as we eagerly anticipate the day when we will see His face when He comes back. So we can go on and on with examples, but I hope that fleshes out a little bit more of what gospel-centeredness really means. But and to kind of sum that up a little bit of everything that we t- I've talked about so far in the episode, is gospel-centeredness puts Christ first. It emphasizes Him and wants to exalt Him in everything that we do, whether it's overtly or or, uh, or indirectly, just making sure that we're, we're living in such a way that would point to Him that shows that we have in people who have been redeemed by His grace. And the gospel-centeredness, I also believe, follows the scriptural principles and scriptural patterns that we have of focusing first and rooting ourselves in what Christ has done for us and then how we live in response to that, uh, in gratitude for what He has done and knowing that He lives in us and that He is going to come back one day. If you wanted to explore more about this and see how this is fleshed out in different aspects of life, <clears throat> there's a lot of authors and people who have influenced this movement. And uh, Jared Wilson, again, probably no surprise, uh, he wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition uh, about the top 125 uh, influencers on the Gospel-Centered movement. <clears throat> and his caveat he has at the beginning, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is there's some people on the list that we wouldn't necessarily want to be there. But they have had an effect, and so they we do need to recognize that. But there's a lot of uh, names on there that uh, people who have impacted me and who have had a great impact and influence on this movement. A few of those names that stood out are Paul David Tripp. Uh, his books have been a uh, great help to me in uh, instruments in the Redeemer's hands. I talked about that in lead last time. Uh, Mark Dever, his idea about the gospel being what the sort the true source of, of unity by the spirit in the local church. D.A. Carson, um, he's had I've read several of his books. He's got some good stuff out there. In terms of music, Keith and Kristen Getty, incredible musicians with such a rich theology and what they talk about, 
uh, and what they sing about. Matt Boswell as well. He's also on the list, and he's one of their hymn writers now. Just incredible uh, songs that exalt Christ and remind us of what he has done and also the cost of what it took for our redemption. Tim Keller has got a lot of great resources out there. Um, his book on prayer, talking about fellowship with Christ, was an influence upon me. J.I. Packer, uh, he's another influencer there. Kevin DeYoung, uh, you, there's a lot of other names on there, but those give us a sampling of some people and their works all talk about um, what does it mean to be gospel-centered, whether they use that term overtly or not, but they help us to see how we live every aspect of life in light of what um, Christ has done for us. The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahoney would be another resource. He, he's not on that list, but that book, The, uh, the Cross-Centered Life, does uh, help to flesh this out even more. It's not a, it's not a long book, but I uh, definitely recommend it. I know there's been some controversy around Mahoney with how he tried to cover up some things with people who were under him. and But I believe what he wrote here uh, still holds true and can, can be helpful. Um, but yeah. So that's a little bit about gospel-centeredness or the gospel-centered movement. It's really trying to recapture the sense that our core of our identity is in Christ and His work of redemption. That That's what God has revealed ultimately through Scripture. That's what uh, all the Bible is about. And then just how we live in light of what He has done for us. So I hope that's been, uh, been helpful. And like I said, I'm continuing to grow in my understanding of this. And not just my understanding, but how I live out every day. So I hope it's been helpful for you as well. Uh, and Lord willing, next week we're going to start a mini-series on worship. What is worship and how is that played out? Because there's a lot of different aspects. There can be some different views about it. But worship is more than just direct praise to the Lord. And it has corporate and, and individual aspects. And we're going to get into all that and hopefully even into... The worship that God rejects. Uh, looking at that's a more serious note, uh, a more sober note there. But I'm looking forward to that and starting that. If um, you have any uh, suggestions of other podcast episodes or comments, feel free to, to email me or to leave a review. But until next time, read the word and take your stand. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope this episode was helpful and an encouragement. For more resources, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Registered Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers. Used by permission, all rights reserved.